I'm Michael Laurie and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockists Nationwide. Hello there and welcome back to the pessimistic world of Irish rugby. All optimism, all hope, all expectation are gone with me, Gareth. And to pick through the rubble are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how are we? And Adam McKenzie. Hey guys. We will of course dissect Ireland's dismal defeat to England and look ahead to this weekend's hopefully more positive game against Wales. We've got some listener questions to chat through first, but England 15... England 57, I wish it was England 15. <laughs> England 57, Ireland 15. It was a record defeat, as I'm sure everybody knows at this stage, for Ireland to England. How'd that happen? I want to live in Gareth's fantasy world where England only scored 15 points. I know, you know it'd, be, it'd make for a much brighter podcast, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think, and I haven't checked this stat because it's, this is some off-the-cuff banter Gareth's been doing, but I'm pretty sure the only team to hold... England to 15 points in like the anything anyway recent past is Wales who have done it like two out of the last three times or something that's an impressive stat to have like just to have in there that that there was no chance that being talked about here you couldn't have prepared that you just had that it was also very risky (laughs) throwing in an unprepared uncertain stat right off the bat possibly wrong yeah that's nobody's going to it it might not be right oh no so like somebody Uh, somebody somebody will will look it up yeah, they will. But if it's right, they'll not let you know. They'll yeah. only let you know if it's wrong. <laughs> it sounds correct, though. Yeah, I like And that's it. half the battle. Well, give so you that. You said it with confidence, correct. so that's, that's all you need. So what exactly went wrong, particularly in that in that second half, if it's possible to, to pick through all the faults? It was just, Joe Schmidt used the phrase, a litany of things, mm. which is fair, yeah, because... There was no aspect of the game to be particularly positive about. There was nothing to point to and say, well, that went well. Um, the line-out was terrible. The scrum appeared to be so fearful of Billy Vinopola's impact off the base that they were, one, getting beaten in the scrum, but it was having such a knock-on effect to their defence off England's scrum ball that... Everything was um, happening out wide. Everything that happened out wide is essentially a consequence of that. Um, their tagging play had no real fluidity. Um, it looked again like a different sort of shape, not a particularly effective one. Playing off uh, really slow ball. England went with, obviously with the um, two two open sides, so it was expected that uh, to be knock-on effect to Ireland's ball but the fact that they picked two open sides really negating their number of jumpers they could have in the line-out didn't affect their line-out at all because Maro Otoje was just just a law unto himself there really and yeah the only thing to be positive about was that everything was so bad that you think that there has to have been some sort of underlying thing with it Mm. like good players can't be that bad without it being something like, you know, lack of game time, legginess after Portugal, that kind of thing. They came up against a team that looked like they were a lot further on in their preparations than what Ireland were. Just everything that England did was fluid, it was clicking, passes were going to hand, moves were coming off, and then every time Ireland had the ball, it just looked like they were going nowhere. It just looked easy 
in the end, I think is one of the best ways to describe it. Every time England went wide, it looked like they always had the overlap. They always had a man over who would go over in the corner. And most of the times it ended up being Joe Cockney-Singa finishing it off. Uh, which should worry Ulster for whenever they play Bath later in the season. But it's definitely it, looking very far down the track yeah. in this context. Like, but it, it was just one of those performances where you just knew it was going to get worse before it got any better. You, it was the writing was on the wall so early with just how easy it was. Like whenever uh, Stockdale chips over the top and uh, Larmer gets in for the try, you you start to think to yourself, okay, well, this this could be a good game. But then just England kept coming back in waves and waves and waves. And you look at all the guys who stepped up for them. Maro Atoje, I thought, was a monster as per usual. Billy Vinopola had a great game. Manu Tualangi had one of the best games I can remember him having in an England jersey. Um so his best game since the last time they played Ireland, probably. Well, <laughs> true. Um, but... You know, it, it was the fact that England just looked like a side who are ready for the World Cup and Ireland looked like a team who wouldn't be ready for the 2023 World Cup, let alone the one in a few weeks' time. And that's, that's the biggest concern. This was a game where Ireland had to prove that the Six Nations was an aberration, that it wasn't, uh, that, that wasn't what they're playing like at the moment. They didn't need to win against England that was, winning was never the objective they just needed to be competitive and they needed to prove that they were on the right path as the World Cup gets closer and they pretty much did the opposite really so if we think briefly then now about the, the Ulster players who played it was a it wasn't a good day for Rory Best and it has given, given our media colleagues from Dublin another chance to, to stick the boot into the hand captain it wasn't a good day for Rory Best. I look. I find it puzzling that Rory Best, by virtue of being thirty-seven, like th- the fact that Rory Best is thirty-seven is like that's the reason why he played badly. But it's age isn't the reason why anybody else played badly. You know that's what I find puzzling about it. It's like the fact that Rory Best has a bad game. Well, and he's 37 means that he must be finished. Rory Best didn't have any worse a game than, say, CJ Stander. CJ Stander's not finished. Didn't have any worse a game, probably, than Gary Ringrose. Really. Um, all of these players, I thought, around the park were similar, similarly anonymous. But I think it's easy to point to Rory Best's age and say that's why he's not getting it done anymore, when the reality is that... Ireland's best players, regardless of position and regardless of age, aren't getting it done. Roy Best obviously looks worse because of the line-out, but the line-out's such a collective thing anyway. You know, there was, I think there was one moment where the call came in, probably for, yeah, so the call would have came in to Rory from Jack McGrath, given to Jack McGrath by Henderson, so that's not a good sign. Well, sorry, of course it won't matter because Rory won't be there, but yeah. um, a vaguely Ulster connection there that didn't look like they were completely in sync. Um, I mentioned it earlier about England lacking jumpers, really, but what they were able to do with Cruz and Atoje was sort of take the front away um, with Cruz and then just have Atoje almost roaming of where he thought the ball was going to go 
and more often than not it seemed like he got it right part of that as Rory Best alluded to in his post-match was that Ireland were so ponderous in getting there getting the call in getting lined out getting the ball in they basically allowed England to have this wealth of information about what they were seeing because they they were giving them so much time relatively speaking like we're talking about you know 30 seconds but 30 seconds to professional rugby players, yeah. especially ones that study the line out, is a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know, it didn't get any better when Sean Conan came on. It didn't get any better when Devin Toner came on either. So regardless of the hooker and caller combination, the line out was symbolic. That's, that's best saving grace. If Cronin had come on, things had immediately improved. There'd be even more questions asked of Rory Best. But the fact that whenever Cronin came on, and especially Toner, who is Ireland's go-to man in the line-out and has been for years and will be during the World Cup. Like it, Things didn't get any better, so I think Rory's dodged a, a little bit of a bullet there, you know, because... I'm, well, sure, he, it, I'm sure he doesn't feel like that if he's uh, well, read, if he, read the papers at any stage. Well, if you, think, if you think about it, if Cronin comes on and has a blinder, he and Toner connect on every single line-out and things immediately improve then you're not just getting questioned over whether you should be in the team. You start getting questioned over whether you should be in the squad. I know, that, like that, that's 100%, but that's the thing that I think I find puzzling. Like This isn't an Ulster bias or a bias towards Rory Best or whatever. I think if somebody had laid down a marker for that number two jersey, then absolutely they focus on Rory Best would be justified mm-hmm. but to me like Jack Conan's put down more of a marker for CJ Sanders number 8 jersey than anyone's put down in a green jersey to put pressure on Rory Best I think Andrew Conway's 100%. put more pressure on Jordan Larmer and probably even Jacob Stockdale than anybody has for Rory Best jersey um, but we, we've talked about this before. Nobody, every time someone gets an opportunity to try and overtake Rory in the pecking order for Ireland, they collapse. Like, wh- when was the last time you saw another hooker play well for Ireland? Rob Herring and the Australia Tour, just to, there you uh, go. <laughs> just to confirm that <laughs> yeah. suspicion of Ulster bias. Is that, that, is that, is that just yeah. part and parcel of being captain there? Is this comes with the territory? You get that extra scrutiny? Possibly. Possibly. Um, but at the same time whenever you're going into a World Cup and whenever there's obviously so much pressure on Ireland at a World Cup to go to go further in the quarterfinals for the first time after the 2018 they had you know everyone wants your best team to be out in the pitch and if certain people feel like Rory Best is not the best person to start a game for Ireland then they'll start to question that whether they're right or not personally I, I don't think they're right I think Rory Best is still the best hooker for Ireland he just had a bad game on Saturday in a team where I don't think anybody could be considered more than a 4 out of 10. It's just the focus that I find all... I'm going to get one for turning up and one for putting your kid on, right? Yeah. That's, that's just only two. That's only two extra points. That's not if Michael Sadler's in the Riddens because you, know, you, <laughs> yeah, you get nothing for free. <laughs> as it should be. As yeah. it should be. I like um, to give the two points. Just You can never I'll be lower than a two unless like you've come out with one sock on or something. Then you can be a one. <laughs> I I'm just gonna throw my hat into the ring for starting everyone on five and you either go up or down depending on what you do. So it depends on what you look at it. 
It's the, it, the exam paper technique of, you know, you get nothing until you write something on the page, you know. But I don't know. I'm, I'm delighted that I just haven't had to do player readings in a while, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, if, if you started everyone on zero at Twickenham, not too many players would have gotten off that zero um, mark, to be perfectly honest. It may have been minus marks uh, for some. Um, just to clarify, Rory Best should still be starting for Ireland come the Scotland game. I don't want to, like, I don't want to go too deep into this because I think coming from the perspective of an Ulster podcast, it does just come across as like a whine of, um, oh, they don't like the Ulster player or whatever. But I just think that to focus on the captain and to focus on the hooker for the bad line, it is all grand. But I would have no confidence in putting somebody else in ahead of Rory Best until they've done it in an Ireland shirt. And I wouldn't want to be saying that that should happen. The first game, a must-win game in a World Cup, where if you look at the CVs compiled by the guys that I mentioned, Conway, Conan, Farrell, they've all put their hands up in a green jersey. And that hasn't happened for me at the hooker position. Mm Mm-hmm. It, should, like as we say yeah. since the Australia tour mm-hmm. when Scannell who almost didn't go on that tour until Rory Best pulled out just before they left mm-hmm. and Herring had a good tour nobody's really be, there's not been a time when you've been like oh, the hookers really impressed me here yeah. um, Brian O'Driscoll we should point out who has been no friend to Ulster supporters after his, his basket case comment he did uh, back Rory Best and said that uh, basically just said that people can be fickle and they forget what Rory Best has actually done in very recent times and how good he's been, particularly in beating the All Blacks and things, which which adds some context to the, the situation, I suppose. Yeah, I think there, ha- there has to be a degree of credit in the bank for guys like Best, guys like Peter O'Mahony, guys like Conor Murray, guys like Johnny Saxon, guys here, I don't think, in good form at the minute, but... Ireland still need them to get to the semi-finals of a World Cup mm-hmm. because you need I don't know 68 world class players mm-hmm. and to win a World Cup and you need the rest of your guys to be very good but those guys aren't in form but they still have recent history of being world class players and the guys that would theoretically be replacing them I wouldn't put in the world-class bracket. So if you take them out, here Ireland's world-class players. Not a lot. Yeah. Certainly not enough to beat a South African team in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Fair. The other other Ulster players then that were playing on Saturday, Jacob Stockdale played his part in the, the early try. How did they, they get on? Yeah, Jacob started so well and then he was cut out defensively for probably all three of England's first half tries and I, d- I do think he was almost the victim of a general bad defensive performance I don't mm. think it was necessarily just him who was per it was just Jacob makes these reads and he backs himself and that's that's good it's, it's good to see players backing their, themselves and backing their own decisions but at the same time he shoots way out of the line and if he gets it wrong he leaves everybody else isolated and that makes him look bad. So I, I still think Ireland defensively as a group got it wrong and but I, I think Jacob's the one who's taken the fall for it. 
and that that's always been the criticism of Jacob. There's no questioning the mm-hmm. uh, offensive capabilities that he has. He is one of the best offensive wingers in world rugby, but he still needs to tidy up that edge mm-hmm. defence that uh, would make him into a true world-class top-of-the-line winger. Um, and this was a game where he was really exposed as still having a lot to work on in that regard. His offensive abilities still outweigh his defensive deficiencies, but it, it's something that he really needs to work on. I think that's one of the black marks against him mm. uh, from the weekend. And then Henderson Henderson had a great steal early on. Again, uh, the Ulster players, sort of for the first 10 minutes, didn't really put a foot wrong, and then everything fell apart after that. Well, I only got 15 points, and Henderson earned 10 of them. Yeah. But um, he was also calling the line out, and the yeah. line out was her end assist to carry the can for that. Well, this the, is the thing: Best gets so much stick for the line out, and Henderson has as well. But I think for all the stick that Best is getting, Henderson's also equally culpable because you know the line out is more than just the guy throwing in. It's the callers, it's the lifters, it's the jumpers. You know, the, it, there's so much mm. going on in a line out to put so much emphasis on the on the thrower as the one who's at fault isn't right now if the thrower's throwing every single line out crooked then okay maybe we shift our shift our blame a bit but there there's a lot more than best in that line out to uh, say they're they're at fault i think without getting like too bogged down in the minutiae of things anymore like to look at the defensive elements of it I don't know whether anyone like caught Darren Cave's um, Twitter activity over the weekend, but obviously. Yeah. Did Darren... he mention he got a home one? Did he get a home one? He got a home one, the pro am at the World Invitational. What a guy! There was me saying, let's not get waylaid. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so obviously Jacob Stockdale taking a lot of heat on uh, the old social medias. Darren Cave, noted defensive organizer, I said. It's lunchtime, guys. <laughs> the lunch truck has arrived at Bell Tail Towers, if you can hear that. So, yeah, so Darren came on, and I guess, as we know, you know, very good defensive organiser, known communicator throughout his career. So he knows what he's talking about. Um, so for the Manny Taylor, this is his take, the Manny Taylor Aggie try, Bondi Aggie flies in on Billy Vinopola. Cork and the Singer try number one. Connor Murray goes blind. <laughs> There's a lot of acronyms in here that I'm taking time to work out. But anyway, Joe Cork and the Singer try number two. Bondiaki flies at Owen Farrell. Gary Ringo's in, has the jam. But Andy Conway drifts. So th- these were all things that Jacob Stockdale was ultimately being blamed for. But Darren was going in and picking out the previous faults before. Yeah. It left Stockdale with no choice. And then somebody else comes in afterwards and is like, um, explanation, technical and opaque. A wing is responsible for defending his opposite number, which is just, it's one of the best Twitter exchanges I've seen in a while, where it's like somebody who actually knows what they're talking about (laughs) rather than the rest of us explains what the issue is. And basically that's too technical. I want somebody to blame. So it's going to be the winger on the outside, not being able to tackle his opposite number. Great stuff. Restored my faith in Twitter. But anyway, the point being, 
But I then listened to um, you know, Jerry Flannery, Andrew Trimble, and Barry Murphy having a similar sort of conversation. And, you know, Andrew Trimble's played for Joe Schmidt. Um, Jerry Flannery has been a coach. Um, he went on an Irish tour, didn't he? He went on the Australia tour, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So he's coached in that environment. And they're still having a bit, and, you know, all past professionals having this long debate, looking at the footage, trying to pick out who's at fault. And at the end, even guys who have worked with Schmidt are like, well, we don't really know the system, so we're essentially guessing. You know, yeah. that that's what we're all doing here. Somebody looks bad, and we can all see that somebody looks bad, but mm. there's a multitude of things going on. And really, Joe Schmidt and the people in the video review are the ones that can pick out yeah. why that happened. Yeah. So, not to make us all redundant here, <laughs> but we genuinely don't know how yeah. bad or otherwise Stockdale was defensively. If people like Jerry Flannery and Andrew Trimble can't tell us who it is, you know. It was an interesting discussion. Like, the, the content and the analysis that they were able to give was all really interesting, but their conclusion was, yeah, we don't know. Mm. Fair. Fair. So we have no chance, basically. Well, um, I've said that for years, that the one thing rugby players don't understand is how little people who aren't rugby players actually understand about defence. Fair. Just like, yeah, whenever Andrew Trimble was in here and uh, whenever he was captain, he had to use a call. <laughs> and he was like, don't talk to me. I don't know what, I don't know what goes on. Um, Jack McGrath did get on then uh, in the second half. Can we take much from his performance? A little precious. If you want to go back, because obviously we haven't spoken since before the team selection, the fact that he was selected was a good sign. Mm. Because the fact that he got a second chance having only had 40 minutes in the first game when it looked like Dave Kilcoyne was ahead of him maybe now well I was going to say this before the game maybe Dave Kilcoyne was thinking oh that's that's not that great for me if Jack McGrath's getting the second chance yeah. after the game he's probably like all the players that weren't playing and thinking <laughs> <Happy enough. laughs> my, my stock's risen more than anybody else's here yeah uh, Ross Byrne then was uh, handed a start probably unexpectedly can he leave with any sort of credit from the game? I thought he played well for like 15 minutes. Mm. And then, obviously, the as things were getting away from Ireland, the situation was probably summed up by that one where he put it out in the fiddle, not under any particular pressure and things were unravelling. But you can't play, I don't think... Um, you know, no 10's going to look good getting that slow ball and when you're just losing so many physical confrontations that's the main worry for me the physicality of it all because if you look at the game in February if you look at the game on Saturday and you throw in the Saracens core that beat Munster and Leinster that's four occasions where it's looked like either the Ireland team or decent chunks of the Ireland team can't deal with the power of Cruz, Atoje. Mm-hmm. the Vinopolas and like we sat here in February and said if England can keep those guys plus Manny Tealaghi and Owen Farrell fit they're a live contender for the World Cup mm. and if anything they look more and more like a contender for the World Cup possibly like the contender for the mm. World Cup that's probably something that's we've been missing since Saturday because we've obviously been focusing on how bad Ireland were but 
there's the flip side of it and the, all, the other side of the IRC they're probably going we're going to win this absolutely and they have every right to after a performance like that Johnny's right England not rely but they have that core group that if they have them all on the pitch together at the same time they're a really formidable outfit they play such a physical brand and I'm surprised that they've stuck to it throughout the warm-up tests because these are the ones you know where you don't want everyone to get injured and you you want to be keeping a few guys under wraps almost but these guys have gone out and played physical in every test they've really imposed themselves on the opposition and whenever you have that Cruz-Itoje combination in the second row uh, you can let Billy Vinopolo run rampant in the back row as long as you've got you know the two more mobile more active six and seven be it Curry and Underhill or uh, if you throw maybe and I know he's not in there anymore but before it would have been Rob Shaw or I, I it's got to be Curry and Underhill now that is well it? yeah that, that that back row worked so well once Eddie Jones has given them a nickname <laughs> that's it the, ka- the kamikaze kids um, are in but Billy Vinopola freaks people out like you saw I mentioned it before but you saw with Ireland off every scrum so much of what they're doing was like worried about Billy Vinopola picking the ball up and smashing through somebody like he did in uh, the Six Nations game but there's a reason for that because he did it against Leinster in the Champions Cup final as well so it's it's not just a you know we've seen him do it for England it's a we've seen him do it against our guys at a provincial level as well. So we've got to make sure that we've got this guy wrapped up. And then, of course, once you put all your focus on him, we'll just spin it out the back to Tulangi, who can do the same thing in midfield. And uh, ironically, I feel like Ireland's two centres were probably the least worst on the pitch, or least bad players on the pitch, if if I could English write. Um, Because I I thought of, of everyone on the team, I thought... Uh, Aki and Ringrose maybe weren't quite as bad as everyone else. At the same time, they still weren't great. And but too long, if you, if you if you can give him the ball and give him enough space, you've basically just added another Billy Vinopola in your back line, which is a huge boost if Vinopola is taking up so much uh, interest whenever he has the ball. I don't think Aki will start at the World Cup, to be honest. He's... He's, he's very one-dimensional. It's too much of a defensive maverick. Well, uh, now, there's, no, there's no cohesion in that defence, but Aki, I think, has got the mo- probably got the most uh, history for uh, doing out-of-character Schmidt things defensively. Mm-hmm. But we don't know the defensive system, so that's just a complete <laughs> guess. Exactly. <laughs> that could be complete and utter nonsense. But the Aki could be sticking rigidly to the defensive system and everyone else is running off at random tangents. But then the issue is, if if I say this about every opinion I give, then I'll be out of job. So. You should probably stop that. Um, uh, yeah, I can't afford it. You that. know, it's, it's interesting that you've got Henshaw waiting to come back in. You've always talked about how Ireland have never had... Henshaw, Ringrose and Aki all fit at the same time and all vying for the three positions. It looks like Ireland might have that this week. If not this week, probably the week after. And you'll finally be able to see who who does Joe Schmidt want to go with whenever you've got all three fit. And there's a big question now. And you're going to see because he's going to select, first of all, 
the two players who will fit into that defensive system. Forget, they're all good attacking players. We know that. That's never been a dispute. So the question is, who's going to be defensively sound? Because right now, the bigger concern for Ireland is shipping 57 points. Only scoring 15 is a big problem too. Like that, I'm not trying to downplay that. But for me, the bigger problem out of those two scorelines is the fact that they conceded 57. And so the bigger issue is getting that defensive system sorted. And whichever two take to the pitch against Wales this Saturday, in my opinion, will be the two that he trusts more defensively. Before we move on properly to the Wales game, we've talked about what exactly was bad, everything. But what... What significance is there from England's defeat? Like we have spent the last few weeks talking about how the result and the performance of these games isn't maybe all important. Does that change in, in light of should, just how yes. it was? What we should have said was it doesn't matter unless <laughs> yeah. you put in the worst performance that you put in for like seven and a half years. Yeah, then it's worrying. Then, because then it becomes a mental thing. But maybe it's time we just accepted that as a nation, we're not like good World Cuppers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just, like, just give up on it, on it for the first day. It future. will never happen. There's definitely something to be said for accepting your limitations in life, and maybe this is just <laughs> something that we can't do. Like we do, we do a lot of things well. Like nobody makes tato crisps like we do That's in true. two different variations, um, but, and both of them good in their own way. Exactly. Do nobody drinks Guinness like we do. Have you ever had a pint of Under Guinness? Have you ever had a pint of Guinness poured anywhere outside Ireland? Well, like once never again <laughs> completely never again nobody does that like us but maybe what we don't have in our DNA is just being good at World Cup yeah, maybe. like it's in the Argentinian DNA it's in the French DNA maybe it's just not a thing let's just accept that and move on like if I had had have accepted as a five year old that like I wasn't going to be a professional sportsman but was going to be a sports journalist I'd probably be a far better sports journalist mm, you know because I would have devoted time to things that I was good at so basically what you're saying is Ireland lost the genetic lottery it's just in terms thought. of World Cup ability. Just a thought. I'm guessing you did this isn't how you opened your pitch to Remus about sponsoring your World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, we're going to win the World Cup, but we're not really going to win the World Cup because we're terrible at DNA. But sponsor us. So, like, yeah, basically it was pretty significant. Like, what, what will this do to Ireland mentally or what how will this impact the rest of their preparations it has to it has to be a concern see what see what all of us are thinking you know the possibility that this team's a spent force the possibility that this team peaked in march of 2018 and everything since has been sort of glossed over by the fact that maybe they just caught the all blacks on a bad day mm. as much as they'll say that there's no way they're thinking about that yeah these people are like they're humans they are thinking about that this will have crept into their minds. It's a possibility, you know? So the mental doubt that will probably already have been there from the Six Nations is exacerbated by this in a way that it wouldn't have been had they just had this sort of run-of-the-mill defeat that we all expected. And that'll only get compounded if they lose again mm. in a game that prior to this series starting we all expected them to lose as well you know Gatlin's farewell sold out Principality Stadium Ireland probably with a rotated team from what was essentially near enough their front line team 
on Saturday and then it just amps up again and you can't avoid that noise you can't avoid mm-hmm. the idea of everyone saying 2007 all over again because the 2017 was better than this one is there any way Schmidt can spin this to the players as like they've been battling now all 2019 again they sort of to protect what they have of fear of getting worse right to now just being like right that's it that's as bad as you can possibly be let's just start again um, and maybe get something do you know what I mean yeah kind like of kind fears of appro- have been realised now kind it's of a, approaching this done. as a ground zero of the- yeah you could um, I don't think they'll want to though I mean if if you take it as Ireland have been building since whatever time whether it has been since the 2015 World Cup or since the start of this year I don't know they've been building for the World Cup I think you've, you've still got your preparations I, d- I still think they will have a structure that they are going to stick to that they won't deviate from too much. Now there has to be some kind of reaction to Saturday's result. Donal has just called me out on Twitter as we're recording this to say that, you know, I've been bleeding on about how you don't put too much stock into preseason games. But I'll agree with Johnny. Um Is Donald bit, here? I'm not <laughs> Donal on Twitter. Alright, okay. Um, but uh you you have to you have to have a reaction to a result like that. You can't, but at, at the same time, you can't go overboard. You know, you can't, you can't suddenly say, right, we're throwing everything out the window. Let's start again from scratch, um, because you know that that's just the last point that we we've played badly. We're going to play well from here. I still think there's got to be sticking to that structure and trusting that what you've been doing up to this point will come good for you. At the same time. Yeah, you gotta make a bit of a change. Um, I don't know what that is. I'm not privy to what Ireland do behind closed doors. I'm not privy to what their training schedule is or how that could change. But there has to be some kind of reaction. And I think most importantly, you've got to see it on the pitch in Wales on Saturday. You've got to see some guys coming out and knowing that if you put in another performance like you did on Saturday, not only is your position in the team going to be in threat, your position in the squad is going to be in threat. You can't have any passengers going to the World Cup, and they need to make sure that that is not the case. You're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundups World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Victoria Square Belfast and Stockers Nationwide. You a piece in today's paper uh, with quotes from Joe Schmidt talking about being open-minded, open-minded to freshening up the panel, and he, he cites Eddie Jones' selection uh, of just sort of some left field guys there. What, what exactly does he mean by this? Are there big changes coming up? It's fascinating. Look, it's a fascinating quote, and if you look at the context of England's preparations and Ireland's preparations, it's fascinating too, because. We've long talked about how Ireland's preparations are four years for the World Cup. So basically since they lost to Argentina in that quarterfinal, that Joe Schmidt's had 2019 in his mind. And everything that he's done, especially post-Twickenham, has been geared towards this World Cup to the point where we'd almost even convinced ourselves that like <laughs> there was an element of the 2019 Six Nations that was just part of a larger master plan. Whereas Eddie Jones' preparations for the World Cup are just like, 
he's always just like I'll get to it when I get to it you know <laughs> like <laughs> there's, there was so much of an effort to get Ben Teo into the system to the point that you know he was encouraged to sign for a club that it didn't seem like he really wanted to be at mm-hmm. just to get him in there and that was what 2016 uh, the guy was a lion in 2017 and by 2019 he's out his England career is over um, you know you look at other guys um, the fact that people boys are making their debut um, in the warm up games mm-hmm. there's still players in their 31 man or a player in their 31 man squad who hasn't made his test debut it's mad when you think about it but like <laughs> who would you put money on to win the World Cup England or Ireland yeah. so it's like there's such a contrast to what they've done and then to hear Joe Schmidt be like to sort of mention that Ireland have been so settled since basically since Stockdale and Ryan emerged and Ringrose came in for Payne who retired he's lip retired moving Stander over to eight and Peter Romani coming in at, but coming back in at six we've known then what Ireland's first choice team is basically since that happened it's been so settled and now there were like three weeks from the World Cup it's like was that the right thing <laughs> and maybe it wasn't and that's why we're talking about do we need Chris Farrell do we need Jack Conan do we need Andrew Conway do we need Niall Scannell and it's all because it, it seems to the outside that almost so much focus went into this World Cup and the planning for the World Cup and yet Eddie Jones is more seemingly haphazard preparation has built a World Cup contender the problem yeah. with looking too far in advance is you don't factor in form you know you get, mm-hmm. you can have your 31 guys that you expect to go to the World Cup and you have a few more you know so that you have a bit of selection but whenever it comes down to it if certain guys aren't in form going into the World Cup then all of a sudden all your planning has to go out the window because you either take guys out of form or you have to look outside your trusted group and have to bring in someone else. Because like, I don't think Chris Farrell was probably ever really on the planning radar because you know, you've got Henshaw, Aki, uh, Ringrose. I'd imagine probably uh, Schmidt probably thought he'd have Jared Payne for this mm-hmm. World Cup as well. Uh, so you know you, you can't factor in too much so it, do, it does sort of raise the head of how far in advance should you be planning should you be planning four years in, a, in advance should you be planning two years in advance should you even be planning one year in advance who knows but yeah it's it's certainly a, a wonderful contrast to look at <laughs> well wonderful yeah. wonderful is maybe not the right word but uh, an intriguing contrast so much of what Eddie Jones wanted to do was to get a side fit he said that before um, you know and that was a similar thing with Japan as well he wanted to get a side to the fitness levels that he wanted to and you know you talk all you want about like the player welfare in Ireland but Eddie Jones has now had his team together for um, that long World Cup period and they just look fit and they just look ready and um, for all the ups and downs of his tenure it almost looks like it's been pitched perfectly um, for them to be going to Japan as 
one of the four sides that you would say can go on and win it. You say in your article, Johnny, that Furlong, James Ryan, Keith Earls, Peter Mahoney, Johnny Sexton, Connor Murray, Keane Healy probably have enough in the bank at this stage to be certs. Everything else is up for grabs. Yeah. And some of that's based on the fact that Ireland have just invested so much time into the Sexton-Murray combination that there's no time now. You know, Ross Byrne wasn't involved in the Six Nations. You know, and he's he's not going to start the World Cup now. Yeah. You know, um, so much time has been invested in those guys. Um, Kane Healy's one of the few that's in form, so obviously he's the one that gets injured. Um, and we still don't know how serious that is. It's, I don't know, like, how much of this is based on the fact that Ian Madigan and Paddy Jackson aren't in the system anymore? Mm-hmm. And Joey Carberry had to be the 10. Like, could Joey Carberry have been the 15? Could Joey Carberry have been a 12? You see how effective it is now that England are playing with those dual playmakers and they can go either side of the scrum and it creates that dike defensively in the opposition as well as obviously Billy Vinopola, but not knowing which side they're going to go to um, from the scrum is a huge thing as well when they have Ford and Farrell. But that didn't work seamlessly at the start. And you almost wonder if, like if Carberry didn't have to be the 10, would he, would he be in Munster? Would he have found a way at Leinster to work with Sexton? Is that the best way to go? You know, we've, England are doing it and New Zealand are doing it. Um, some that Australia did at the last World Cup and are still doing now with Beal um, looking like he's playing fullback in tandem with Leila Fano at 10 but these are all things that I guess Arnold haven't tried so I don't think they're going to try now James Bradley wants to know is it time to call Simon Zebo into the squad? No <laughs> um, Any more chance of us getting collectively called into the squad at this stage probably? Uh, Derek Foley, who writes for the Irish Daily Star, tweeted yesterday that of um, the eight national Irish newspapers, only one of them mentioned Simon Zebo on Monday, which is one a sign of how much when Schmidt says you're out, you're out. Like yeah. it's, it's, yeah. but also the fact that he was mentioned in one is also a sign that like. In a hundred years, we'll still be asking if Simon... <laughs> like, have we made a mistake not bringing Simon Zebo to the... <laughs> Unless they win. 21-20 World Cup, you know. Um, Ireland's glaring issue still isn't in the back three. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't think bringing in Simon Zebo would improve Ireland to the extent that they would have made it any closer against England the weekend. Yeah, and that's... that's Whenever you're asking all these questions as a knee-jerk reaction to that England result. You know, if you're talking about bringing Simon Zebo in, the question is, would Simon Zebo have improved that result? No. I don't think I, I don't think there's anybody you could have brought into that team that would have improved that result unless you replaced the entire starting lineup. Similar to the, the thoughts we had on last week's podcast, this one, but it, it's worth asking again in light of the weekend. Can Ireland make it out of the groups? Asks M. Johnson Edwards. Well, see, this is an important thing, I think, to clarify. Ireland will still win the group. 
Like the Ireland of 2019 is still better than Scotland. Like Ireland was that good. Ireland side on Saturday better than Scotland? Maybe not the side that Scotland put out on Saturday, but they weren't overly impressive either. Now they turned around a big deficit from the week before, but like. Scotland can't play the way that England play because they don't have the physicality in the forwards. Um, Scotland are terrible away from home. As we said last week, the World Cup's not in Scotland. Ireland, as indifferent as they were in the last Six Nations, still beat Scotland and Murrayfield. Now, they were somewhat fortuitous to do so, but they did do it. There's a difference between being the or sorry, not being able to beat one of the four best teams in the world, which is where I think Ireland look like they are at the minute, and being worse than Scotland and Japan. Ireland, uh, as currently constituted, should still win this pool. Like, don't make it, don't make a mistake about that. But Ireland, as currently constituted, would need to put in an out of context performance to win a quarter final. Yeah. So. We just need to calm down a bit to group stage. So we've still, <laughs> still got a wee while to get it right until South Africa or New Zealand. Um, this weekend then, Wales away on Saturday afternoon at 2.30. Does the result and the nature of it on Saturday impact the way this one's going to be approached or the team that's going to take the pitch this weekend? Yeah, um, I think you're probably going to see some changes to what Schmidt had originally been thinking. I would imagine that after that result on Saturday, he's now probably thinking he needs to change a few guys in terms of putting a few guys out on the pitch again to prove themselves and also to change a few guys because he wasn't convinced enough by them at Twickenham. I think... For for Ireland, I think the result actually does become important this weekend, and I hope it doesn't because they're going to lose. <laughs> Initi- initially, and I've I've been going about on about this for the last few weeks. I would have said put no stock in preseason results, but after a result like they had at Twickenham, I think there has they have to make this week close. They can't again, maybe not necessarily win. I think they'll definitely want to win. They'll, they'll definitely be a, a real desire to win this week as opposed to just making it close. But if you suffer back-to-back defeats, one hammering at Twickenham and another loss, particularly if it's convincing against Wales, suddenly you'll have a lot of doubt creeping into that camp. I'm sure that Schmidt has done a good job in sort of keeping them... Uh, keeping them level-headed after Twickenham and saying that was bad, but let's move on. But if you have back-to-back results that really go against you, I think suddenly, even if they're meaningless friendlies, the the doubt really starts to creep in. So they need some kind of result that they can take back to Ireland and go, okay, we're happy enough with that. It doesn't have to be a win, but it certainly needs to be close. And I think... More importantly, you need to have a reaction. So that's why I think you've got to have, whether or not he was going to do this before or not, you've got to have a good proportion of guys who've played in that Twickenham test going out and you need a response from them. You need to have them show that they're hurting. 
you need to have them showing that that's not the real us, that's not Ireland that are going to go to Japan, and we are still the guys that you can trust. I'd like if all your preparation is geared towards physically peaking for the Wales game and the, sorry the second Wales game and then the Scotland game. Do you change that now? I think you have to. I think you have to get some kind of result this week because of it. No matter what team you put out, if you go to Wales and you're beaten for the second week in a row, and say it's by 15, 20 points, like that's back-to-back results against two teams that you'd expect to compete with, even even in preseason games or or World Cup warm-up games. You would expect to be there, thereabouts in both of these games. You've just been hammered in Twickenham. Like, it, it was an embarrassment in Twickenham. And now you're going to go to Cardiff. And if you come off on the wrong end of a similar result, like th- there'll have to be some kind of confidence crisis within that camp if you've got back-to-back results like that. In, in good timing, we have Joe Schmidt's quotes have just come through from his, he's meeting the media today as we record. Well, just Obviously not meeting us. Well, no, because we're here. Yeah. We have an Ulster kit lunch to get to. Exactly. Priorities. Exactly. Priorities. Exactly. Um, but Club before country. Just whenever you say about, you know, has this changed anything? Well, there's the first piece of evidence, the fact that Joe Schmidt is speaking to the media today. Mm-hmm. Like, as long as I've been in this job, Joe Schmidt is a, is a Thursday press conference man. This is the day for his assistance, but not it's not. not. And today. also another media engagement tomorrow has been cancelled with the reasons cited as a change to training schedules. Yeah, so it was Rory Best, was supposed to be. It was. Yeah. So Joe Schmidt says, uh, as you pointed out earlier, like Joe Schmidt probably is going up today because he didn't want to leave his lessons to face. What would have been a, yeah. what was that from, <laughs> from the media? Fair enough. But he says uh, it's an unacceptable result. I'm sure everybody was not in agreement with that. Um, performance beneath where we'd like to be, where we need to be. The whole group is very conscious that we have a short period of time to accelerate what is part of a progression. We looked flat, slow. We didn't just uh, um, probably didn't take some opportunities that were available but to throw everything out would be a mistake he says nothing mitigates losing the way we did we were going we're not going to make excuses blah 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 nothing Maybe. mitigates losing the way we did is interesting so is but to throw everything out would be a mistake yeah because that's sort of you're landing in the still between where me and Adam are here where um Adam obviously is advocating a change to the physical preparation, and I'm just I'm just not sure that Joshua will be willing to do that if he's mm-hmm. aimed to have his side physically peaking. But I think it's an interesting debate because it's how much of your preparation is mental, and how much of the hangover of this defeat is a mental one. And it definitely is; it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. But then, how much of it is physical as well? Because obviously. Captain Hindsight, you can question the sense of having a week-long warm-weather training camp where the players are obviously flogged, flying straight to London, playing a game and expecting to be able to physically compete with guys who are already in the game-week mode, having had two warm-up mm-hmm. games before it. So I think it is inter- it's, it's going to be a really fascinating balance of how they do that, the physical, and what's been a long-term plan to have them fit and firing, ready to go on the 22nd, because that's something to remember as well. England, 
basically have another two warm-up tests, not to be disrespectful, when they start the World Cup because of the first two fixtures. Yeah. yeah. We I also th- learned that Conor Murray trained fully past his head injury assessment and won't play, well, unlikely to play this weekend, but will be back for Wales at home the following weekend. Kane Healy is bullish. Joe Schmidt said, so not really sure what sort of injury update that is. I, but I would say that Keane is always bullish, <laughs> um, regardless they say, of situation. They, they say he could play in the second, uh, in the second game team. against Wales. Yeah. I, th- I think what one <laughs> this, of the this things this is going to be a really eagerly anticipated second Wales yeah. team announcement, given yeah. that Sexton has to play, Healy has to play, Murray has to play. I think one of the things that we haven't questioned yet is have Ireland potentially got their preparation wrong you you kind of question it there but have have ireland like of course managed a hundred percent like okay I, I right, well there we go there's the answer to that no i i'm just saying i agree with you a hundred percent i think so that we have to ask the question we went down to chatteroy best whatever it was two weeks ago mm-hmm. and one of the things you said about 2007 was there was no point in us getting there failing and then saying did we get our preparation wrong we should have said it at the time have we got this wrong now the flip side to this is you take 2007 right disastrous world cup everyone continues to talk about how bad the preparation was and everything else you know 2007 so you had the split in the squad between the first 15 and the um the others or the first 23 and the others maybe whatever um, but in 2003, um, Eddie O'Sullivan did the same thing. Like there were guys that went to the 2003 World Cup and were never really involved, didn't play. You know, Neil Doak went to that World Cup uncapped, came back uncapped, never got his cap, but went to a World Cup with Ireland. Um, Gary Longwell didn't went to that World Cup, didn't play. Paddy Walls, I think, went to that World Cup and didn't play. Mm-hmm. So things that happened in 2003 also happened in 2007, but nobody talks about them because the World Cup was seen as um, not a success, but because of that Alan Quinton try against Argentina, not a disaster. So people don't talk about 2003. 2011, Ireland lost all their warm-up games, but then went and beat Australia, so nobody talks about the warm-ups and the preparations there. So it is this idea of... You know, in four years' time, we may not be talking about this. If Ireland go and have a good World Cup, but ultimately, you have to ask the question now: Has the preparation been right for this? Because at present, it looks like it's been so off. Because everything looks out of sync. You know, Roy Best again. Whenever we would arm them, said about the amount of how neither fitness work incorporates a rugby ball and how they do more training with the ball than before. But at the same time, after X amount of weeks of pre-season, they didn't look game-ready, whereas England looked game-ready. Mm. So, you know, you can do all the pre-season fitness that you like, but you have to be game-ready. And after six, seven, eight weeks, it doesn't look like Ireland are. Mm. Moving on to Ulster then. Uh, matters domestically, as it were. Ulster's Champions Cup fixtures have been announced. So, uh, so not matters domestically. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely not. Domestic matters That's fantastic. Not in Northern Ireland. <laughs> domestic matters on the continent. Um, Bath, first up away, and then that's on the sixteenth of November. Then Bath, Bath away is a very underrated. I'm sorry, I know you were going no, no, through the fine, fixtures, but Bath, Bath away is an underratedly difficult opening game. 
Like I, I've got a lot of respect for Bath as an organisation and as a team, and I think that's possibly one of the worst ones that Ulster would have wanted first up. In, ter- in terms of mm-hmm. what game they would have liked to have start with, that's probably second worst behind having to go to Claremont uh, straight off the bat. Without being obvious, it's also the hinge because you have two winnable games to start with, but also losable games. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it just sounds ridiculous. It's the nature of sport, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, they, they might win or they might lose, basically, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Cutting so, either <laughs> this is the analysis that keeps people coming back. <laughs> um, so, after two weeks, personally, I think you either know whether you have a 80% chance of getting out of this pool or whether you have a 2% chance of getting out of this pool. Because if you win both those games, You'd be massively disappointed the way the fixtures fall to not carry that momentum, beat Harlequins <clears throat> twice, twice, probably lose to Claremont, and then finish up with Bath at home. Now Ulster, going back to that, or going back since that Bordeaux loss, that ridiculous Bordeaux loss, having very good at getting results at home in Europe still. So you'd really fancy them if they were in a position going into that last game. We've seen them the last two years having to go away and get results to an English team once successfully, once unsuccessfully. But if you can start well, and bear in mind the World Cup hangover that's going to be there for everybody, so it's going to be who deals with that. If you start well, you've got a really, really good chance to get into the quarterfinals. Um, As Adam says, though, it's a tough fixture. And Claremont are the best team in the group coming six days later to Belfast. So if you don't take two wins from them, you are massively up against it. Mm. But if you do, you're flying. You're flying. There you go. I so, hope that uh, added something from a, a shaky beginning. If they <laughs> might win, <laughs> they might you, lose. You pulled it around. So basically what you're saying is we're going to know from 11 o'clock on the 22nd of November whether or not Ulster are getting out of the group. <laughs> Essentially, so I wouldn't have the... <laughs> ridiculous situation that I had last year of having to cancel a holiday because <laughs> they got to the quarterfinals I'm just looking forward to go to Bath I haven't been for years I've never been it's can't fantastic. wait it's excellent excellent trip um, Saturday, early Saturday kickoff as well it's ideal um, really really looking forward to it great spot uh, the wreck has been been on my bucket list since I got this job to uh, to get to so and we'll get to see it but we'll get to see it before it gets renovated as well exactly so when it's delighted unbelievable um, rustic form do we want to do we want a Rory Best quote or sorry do we want a Schmidt quote on Rory Best absolutely. just while we're here 100% um, get it in via, via Rory O'Connor um, if there's let's see the Schmidt quotes for via as well hello Rory <laughs> Sorry, I'm relatively sure he's not listening. Um, <laughs> especially not this deep into the podcast. <laughs> if there's external noise of that nature, I'm guessing of Bess being dropped or not the captain. Yeah. If there's external noise of that nature, there's no internal noise of that nature. At this stage, there are no decisions that have been made of that nature. Um, this is Rory at this point. It says players have a chance to play and impress this weekend and that no one is safe. So basically, no, those two, those things said two different things. Yeah. So Schmidt says, "No, no. worries, and Rory Best, Rory Best place is not safe because nobody's place is safe." Exactly. Although those people that I said were safe earlier, they're not safe either. They're still safe. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. 
telling you. Well, there we go. We'll see what we see. Ulster A began their season last Saturday. Well, yeah. sort of. Well, they, they, they did. <laughs> <laughs> did they not play a warm-up before that? Oh, Can I imagine that? Oh, come on. No. Well, even if they did, nobody could hurt Anyway. <laughs> yes, the Celtic Cup started the weekend. And a mightily impressive win for a young Ulster team. 83rd minute try. 83rd? I heard, yeah. I heard 85. I've been oh, really? I've been led astray. Um, by David McCann, who we've spoken about before. He's having mm-hmm. a really good uh, 20s campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, didn't know which way I was going to go with the A-team this year because there's so many players. Obviously, normally, by now, the season started or, or is starting this weekend. So, theoretically, they could have gone with a relatively loaded Celtic Cup team and used it essentially as pre-season. But we've seen a very young team, got a very good result, playing again Cardiff on Saturday night at Malone. So, I think that's going to be worth going down to, I think. Absolutely. What's the Ireland game in the afternoon and then go down to Australia on Saturday evening? Hopefully the Ireland game was better and you still want to leave the house. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't go any worse, surely. Please, no. No, no. And also at the weekend, unfortunately, Ulster woman um, lost uh, to Leinster in Armagh. Oh, that's a shame. Who did they play this weekend? Though? They are up at the dub, half three, so it clashes with uh, with the Ireland game, unfortunately, but they'll be uh, playing Comet this weekend. Okay, so anybody who would rather watch that than Ireland getting beat by Wales, then feel free. Um, that's pretty much us, though. Now, for this week, no other business to attend to? No, we forgot to talk about Scotland again for the second time, but we'll, we will get to them before the 22nd of September. Yes, yeah, plenty of time. Yeah. Sam Skinner's out of the squad. Tim Swanson has replaced him. That's it. There we go. <laughs> still, still no justice for no. Richie Gray. The fight goes on. <laughs> so we didn't talk about Will Allison either, who I reckon is going to play in a great game this weekend. But that's just an aside. We'll we talk didn't about talk about the Springbok squad. So we didn't talk about many things. Many things we didn't talk about, but it's fine. Very, very briefly, did you both see how the Springboks announced their squad? First of all, yeah. individual tweets for each player, and then a squad list that ran down the page instead of across yeah, which made it impossible to read the names I didn't like yeah, that but that I liked the rest of it from and a journalistic point of view obviously they all were wearing blazers as well which I can never get enough of Razzy Erasmus I'm, doesn't break out the blazer enough I'm going to put it up there as one of the worst squad announcements I've ever seen hopefully Ireland don't do that and I really like the Springboks do you think Ireland would actually have an event for a squad announcement that it'll be an email sent out at 11 o'clock with um Two lines of a quote from Joe Schmidt. It'll be scribbled on the back of a napkin and chucked into a room full of journalists. <laughs> It'll also 100% leak before it's announced because they have to put it in, what, Monday? And they're not announcing it until Sunday. Yep. So, Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, it absolutely will. So they, they have to submit it to World Rugby. I think it's on Monday. And it has to be publicly announced then by no later so than the, the 8th Monday. of September. They play Wales at home on the Saturday and the squad has to be on Monday. Yeah, so it's basically, it's a nightmare if you think about it. It's essentially like when Bryn Cunningham went on TV and said, we've signed a player, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. Yeah. Because then everybody just knows that there's something out there and yeah. everyone has to go and try and, and get it. What it is. It's James, frankly. It makes a lot of sense in why Joe Schmidt has said then that after this weekend, selection's done. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, they still must be able to change it, but because obviously there'll be injuries and stuff, but to, um, it has to be... And 
a list of 31 names basically without overcomplicating things has to be submitted to World Rugby I believe on Monday yeah there we go alright that's definitely us there's no further business because time's up so from Adam McHenry cheers guys Jonathan Bradley thank you Kelly and myself Gareth thanks for listening go back up for minutes You've been listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockists Nationwide.